With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Here comes the judge. Swing and a drive. No, it's not. It's not. Episode 15 of the Bomber Brothers podcast is here, the Thurman Munson episode. It's also report card day. Sean and Ryan with you here to give out some end-of-the-year grades to the Yankees. And then we also have Dr. Tommy John Jr. on to talk with us And perfect timing as uh, we're in the wake of the news of the D.D. Gregorius injury. He underwent successful Tommy John surgery today, and Tommy John Jr. is going to come by and tell us all about what to expect with this recovery process, what is behind the spike in Tommy John surgeries, what it's like for position players to go through um, their recoveries. And Sean, he brought up a lot of really interesting points, especially when it comes to the recovery process for position players. I'm looking forward to playing that interview. Yeah, it was it was a good talk with uh, Dr. Tommy John Jr., but uh, I left definitely a little bit scared after yeah. some of the stuff that he said. And I guess that's apropos because I was always uh, scared of Report Card Day, and uh, here we are on Report Card Day. Yeah, I used to try to run and beat the mailman and, and hide it for an extra day or two, but um, the Yankees cannot hide from our report cards as we are going to be dishing out the grades, and, and we're going to start as we jump right into it with, um, I'm sure the person you're most eager to give out a grade to the manager, Aaron Boone. Now, now bear in mind, as we record here on October 17th, this is, this would technically be the day that Boone gave us one of our best childhood moments. Cause it was after midnight on the game started on the 16th, but on October 17th, Boone did hit that home run off Wakefield and, and, you know, one of the reasons why he probably has a job right now. Yeah, I kind of ranted about that last week. Um, all right, you want to just talk about that since it's the 15-year anniversary real quick? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's, let's start with something positive before we yeah, get into the boom yeah. grades. But yeah, let's, let's delay the inevitable, kind of keep the suspense, suspense up. Um, I, I mean, that, you, you know, one of the things I, I will always remember as much as he likes to bring it up is our father said right before the inning started, Boone's going to hit a home run on the, I think he called the first pitch if I remember correctly. I think so. And sure enough, Wakefield throws his knuckle as we all knew it was coming and boom, it's gone. Um, that was a wild game. Probably one of the, the last true classic, uh, true classic games that we got in the old format that we're used to before the dominant bullpens existed. Um, but what are your memories about that game? And, and we can get into that. I remember, it, it's funny because I think about watching this year's ALDS and just how it was, you know, inning one through nine, no matter what the score was, just so tense and, and almost feeling exhausted after the game just because of how nervous you are because you follow the team all year and you're, you're so emotionally invested. And of course, I was, you know, I feel I was just as invested in 2003 and I remember that season well, and the the only difference was e- even after the heartbreak in 2001, I still was under that you know naive childish mentality that was kind of you know brought on by the Yankees winning all the time, and that I I I just remember watching the game and never never even when they were down five two in the eighth, never thinking they were going to lose. I just 
I remember you came home from your friend's house and you were all miserable and you just walked in the door and you said Soriano sucks because he was having an awful game. But like even like I I rode my bike. All right. So Soriano in the bottom of the seventh hits that little tapper to end the inning. I think the the bases were loaded in the the bottom of the seventh. Mm -hmm. And I rode my bike from Alex's house to our house, which is probably what a half mile. Maybe not very far. Yeah, <laughs> before the commercial break even ended, <laughs> and I saw then David Wells give up the solo shot to Ortiz. But yeah, I was really pissed at Alfonso Soriano. Uh, I didn't remember saying that, but now that you mention it, yeah, that that's definitely a a me thing to do. But he, and you were three years older than me at the time, so you had more realistic knowledge. And me, I was I was still pretty young and just kind of under the impression that the Yankees always were going to come back. And I just you know it, you, you I don't mean to cut you off. You said that, and that's actually it's funny that you said that because that's the first that was the first postseason where the opposing team would get a runner on second, and I would get really nervous, like like that tension would would click in. Oh one didn't do it to me, but then after they lost to the Angels in oh two. That really is what put that kind of. I I didn't take I I didn't take the World Series being for granted anymore. So that was the first year that I actually felt that when watching the playoffs, and it was with the Twin Series that year too, and then the World Series after that. It wasn't just that Boston series, and so it was funny that you said that. But yeah, that that was a really tense, very intense series. Yeah, that was just that first. You know, we were at the. ALCS in 99 but that was still kind of a beat down the Yankees just were unstoppable then but then that Red Sox team in 2003 was so good and just all those hard-fought games that series it was kind of our first introduction to the real nitty-gritty of that rivalry and I mean just even in the regular season in those years when those teams played was just must-see TV and of course it culminated in that eighth inning which I, I still probably would it's. I mean, it's so tough. I, I could consider it my favorite inning of baseball I've ever watched. Just that that comeback and to have it have it happen against Pedro and just the the whole you know oh shit realization when Grady Little went out and walked back to the dugout by himself and didn't take him out and um, just what just I'll I'll never forget that night. I'll never forget the day after uh, in school. Me and you, uh, we like wore plain white Yankee shirts, but like taped Boone and the number 19 on the backs of our shirts or something. Actually, what I did was I had the shirt. It was white with the red writing that said, Babe, Bucky, Buckner. And any then I questions. Took, I took, yeah. <laughs> any, I, I took a piece of paper and taped it because I didn't want to write on the shirt and wrote Boone on a piece of paper at the bottom. And then my friend Vinny had the same exact shirt and he actually just wrote it in permanent marker Boone and like everybody at school the next day was like like people I didn't even know were Yankee fans were in Yankee stuff it was it was awesome and you know the home run itself is such a classic moment but th- that eighth inning is is I mean if I could be any age and be at any inning I'd be able to realize what was going on and go to go I mean I do I do remember what was going on but I was eight years old ninety six that the you know the third inning would probably be the inning I would go to but for n- understanding like the gravity of the situation. Um, nice Corazon reference. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that that's probably the one inning I'd go back and relive uh, if I could relive any any inning in the history of uh, my my fandom. Yeah, yeah. You had the game tying hit by Posada. You had the game winning home run by Boone. But I will still say that Mariano Rivera and Mike Mussina are your two MVPs of that game. And then uh, Jason Giambi also in there. Just so many people came up with big moments, and I think uh, I. I, I if, if I could remember a time when I actually was a little nervous, it was when uh, Clemens was letting it get away early. But then Musina came in and just put an immediate stop to it, and that's kind of settled me down. I was like, okay, you know, they're, they're still going to win this thing. Yeah, I um, I think after, after Jeter gets the double, it was just kind of that here-we-go moment. But... I definitely I, – I didn't feel that because they really never had anything going against Pedro. I mean, Giambi hit the two solo shots, and then they in the seventh they got something going, and then they just squandered it with, you know, Soriano, and that's why I was so upset with him. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. Definitely a classic game, and uh, Boone's the hero, and Boone gets the job, and now it's time to grade Boone, I guess. Yeah, so now here we are 15 years later, and now Boone is – 
still in the Yankee dugout, just in a different role, finishing his first year as as manager. It obviously ended with a complete flop in terms of his in-game management, but this the season as a whole, I, I don't even know if I need to ask, but what's your grade for Boone? So I had some time to calm down. <laughs> it's like everybody trying to calm me down. So it's uh, so it's just a D minus. Uh, I've had some no no I've had some t- I've had some time to calm down, and uh, now I'm I'm going by the grade that C is satisfactory. Okay. Yeah. So C is average. All right. It's not like our house where if you get a C, you're punished until further notice, and if you have to plug <laughs> plug in whatever you want to use, then you can't use it. Yeah, for our listeners, that was our dad's uh, famous punishment. If you were able to plug in something like a PlayStation or a TV, you weren't allowed to use it. And um, we would be able to get away with a lot if that was the rule today, because we would still have our cell phones and an iPad. Can't charge them, though. That's true. (laughs) You got a a couple hours out of it. All right, uh, I would give Boone a D. Um. I think he did a poor job. I don't. I don't think he completely failed. Um, he's still in it, you know, in terms of his contract, and he, he can he can definitely bounce back. But I think he definitely kept the kind of fun vibe around the team for sure. I think he did a pretty good job at handling the press. And um, I thought, and now. I thought for the the most part, actually, I shouldn't say that. I had one issue with anything he did offensively, strategically, uh, that I can think of, and that's good. I mean, his lineups usually made sense. I think he tried to get guys rest when he could. I think he rode Giancarlo a little bit hard, but I think he had to do that. My issue is with ha- is with how he handled the pitchers, um, and I've you know he let he leaves starters in way too long. He punted a couple games away by going to his uh, second or or third level relievers when he should have been trying to keep the game close, especially down the stretch when they had a chance to still win the division. Um, but his fail, the, the, so like if that was everything, I would have just given him a C because some good, some bad, but his failure to learn from his mistakes is what really drops him down to a D for me because he kept making the same mistake over and over and over again. And that drove me nuts. I think that's fair, and and again, it's kind of when you think of like re- uh, regular season awards like MVP and Cy Young, you know, you have to leave out the playoffs. If if we were grading just his playoff performance, I would probably give him an F. Um, but 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 overall, uh, um, I I'm, I'll give him a C, just satisfactory. I I really don't think that his over the course of the entire season, like you said, I totally agree. He he punted some games away. I, I still don't think that that would have played a huge part in the in the division race, considering how far back they finished. They they lost the race because pitchers got hurt, and and the luxury tax was such a necessity to stay under for whatever reason. And and you got too many starts from guys like Sonny Gray and Domingo Herman. Um, I, I like how Boone handled the lineup. Like you said, he pushed Santon a little, but that's when he had to. When Judge got hurt, he had a lot of injuries to deal with in his first year. Um, totally agree with all the all the pitching staff problems and how they really came to a head at the worst possible time. But uh, for me, honestly, a lot of that grade falls on Larry Rothschild because he was supposed to be the one that stepped up and helped Boone in his first year as as a manager because Rothschild's been there before. And it, at, at least from our our perspective, maybe it's different in the dugout, but from our perspective. Rothschild did a terrible job at that. I, I would give him a D or an F, but Boone gets a C for me. And I, so I guess our grades average out to a, a C minus D plus range. Now, how about uh, up in the up in the offices and Mr. Brian Cashman? Um, I would give I'd give Mr. Cashman a uh, a solid B, maybe a B plus. Hmm. Um, now I'm not going to give him any credit for. Well, ho- all right, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Are we giving him credit for Torres and Andahar, even though he didn't get them this year? No, we'll we'll do we'll we'll grade Torres and Andahar separately because that wasn't a move that Cashman made in 2018. Okay, so I'm going to give him a B plus, and it would have been an A plus, but he fired a manager that was one game from the World Series and picked up one that I just gave a D to. So that's <laughs> his biggest. Uh, that was his biggest issue. The biggest issue I had with him this year was he, I think he made a very poor choice, and I think he had. 
other better options than than Boone to turn to that he didn't hire. And I'm I'm very down on him hiring Boone. So that that brings it down. I also think he didn't do enough in the offseason to address the pitching staff. Um, their depth definitely was exposed until and you know he did a very good job at going out and getting Hap. Uh, that that was a good that was a good maneuver, but um, by not having the pitching depth at the beginning of the season, it wound up costing them the division. Even though they did get Hap later, by then it was too late. I'm I'm gonna give Cashman an A. Just I I still think he might be the best general manager in, in baseball and. Um... You, you know, he does get rid of a manager after they come one game from the World Series, but he also goes and gets the reigning NL MVP in, in the same offseason. Well, that was thrown and, into his lap. and Well, know, still, and he took, he took advantage of it. And, um, and again, kind of, kind of like the same situation with my grade of Boone, I, I feel like a lot of the things that fans wanted to see Cashman go out and do were things he couldn't do because he was being held back by this luxury tax goal that the Steinbrenners were putting upon him. I, I I still think Cashman tried to go and get Garrett Cole and the you know, the Pirates turned down his offer and then the Astros jumped in and, and took him instead and you know, so be it. I, I I'm sure Cashman did his due diligence uh during the deadline, approaching the deadline to check in on guys like DeGrom and the Mets probably were just like, You're the Yankees, we don't want to deal with you because that's just how the Mets are. And and then Cashman still wound up getting an incredible amount of production from Hap down the stretch. He got some solid innings out of out of Lance Lynn, and then he goes and gets a guy like McCutcheon, who was basically, you know, finishing the season as a Yankee with an on base percentage of like 900 or something ridiculous like that. So I think it was more of the same from Cashman pulling the right strings and and going out and getting what they needed to get. The only thing, the only thing, and again, I don't know if this was more. The Giants were asking too much initially and then brought the asking price down before the waiver deadline came to an end. Um, I would have liked to have seen him pull the trigger on on a McCutcheon-like trade way earlier because it was clear that Shane Robinson wasn't the solution. And the fact that he played a month is is pretty much an abomination. But um, I'm giving Cashman a hard A. All right. I just I think the manager thing is, you know, that's like missing an assignment. You know what I mean? You just you completely missed it. It's going to drag your grade down. But, yeah, everything else that he did, um, you know, I understand that he had his limitations. And um, I mean, he always finds these diamonds in the rough, whether it be Voight, who comes and contributes. And, you know, he had Lynn and, you know, Lynn did it, did his I think Lynn did the job they, they got him to do. So, uh, yeah, I thought I thought he did a fine job in, in terms of player personnel. So. Um, now let, let's, uh, talk about some of the guys that he did get. Uh, you want to start with Torres? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we can even, for me, I can group Torres and Andujar in the same group and give them both an A because they, I mean, these are two guys that are, uh, two of the three top rookie of the year candidates in the league. Torres was absolutely incredible in, in May. And then he had the hip problem and took a little while to come back and, um, just, I mean, Torres, he showed some clutch hitting, had a huge walk-off against the Indians, and and, and Duhar. I mean, what else can you say? He almost hit 30 home runs. He was an absolute doubles machine, setting the Yankee rookie record. I know his defense was obviously a huge problem, and Cashman said today that he plans on having Andujar back at third base, which is a little scary, but we'll see how that evolves as the offseason goes along. But, you know, I'm also giving these grades based with with expectations playing a part as well. I don't think anybody thought that the Yankees would get that kind of production from Andujar. And considering their previous third basemen were guys like Headley and Frazier who weren't that great defensively either, and then you add that kind of offensive production from a rookie who a lot of people considered, you know, a, a free swinger, who which Andujar is but he also adjusted incredibly once pitchers started giving him all breaking balls he adjusted beautifully and showed a lot of uh quality veteran at bats at the plate so the rookies get an get an a for me all right you i wish i had you as my teacher <laughs> um I, i'm gonna also give them a b plus um Andujar offensively gets like a plus plus but his defense was that atrocious that I have to knock him down to a B plus. Uh, Torres was a, a better over uh, all around player. 
I would I would say between the the I mean he did have his issues that you would expect of a rookie on defense and on the uh, bases. Yeah, and oh, um, <laughs> he actually uh, his base base runs is negative one. Um, that, that's pretty bad. But yeah. um, I thought he had more trouble adjusting offense. Sorry, the Astros just went back to back to uh, tie the game. And a belly to belly. Oh, so no, it went off the wall. Never mind. That was a John Sterling call. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I have a grade call. to give you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is off the <laughs> wall. Um, so anyway, uh, Torres, I, I thought he, I thought Andujar did a great job of staying with what pitchers were doing to him. Torres, I think there was definitely an adjustment period combined with that hip, even though he was a better all around player. I, I, I think that, um, I think that that, those offensive woes kind of, uh, reared their head, but, but he did, you know, make that adjustment back. So I'd give them both to be plus. I thought they did. So let's say B is good, so B plus is very good, right? So I thought they did a very good job. That's solid. Just I I Just, know. By I, the way, Altuve broke it down. He thought he had a home run too. Well, he's probably craving a home run after he got robbed of one in the first inning. So I, I can't blame him. Um, but anyway, moving right along, let's let's just group this all into one for the sake of time. But but the pitching staff, give me your rotation grade and your bullpen grade, which I'm sure are going to be vastly different. Uh, bullpen grade, I'm going to give, um, an A minus. Okay. I thought now, now I'm taking the whole pen into consideration. If we're talking about the big guns, the guys that we wanted to count on, I'd probably give them an A just with the, the missing plus being probably, um, Britain. Uh, and, and then, you know, there was a couple struggles from green and, and Robertson mixed in there, but overall, I mean, historic year for the bullpen. I just, I don't know about you, but I felt like they weren't as locked down as they were last year. I definitely felt like we sprung a few leaks here and there when you weren't expecting to, Yeah. um, for the starting rotation. Um, I'd actually, I'd give them a B. I know that's probably, hmm. su- I know it's probably very surprising, but if you think about it, I mean, how many games were we out of like by the third inning because the starter just got absolutely rocked except for when Tanaka had his couple of stinkers and, and, you know, so, I mean, I thought, I thought they did a good job at holding, holding it together and keeping the team in it. I mean, even when they had, um, even when they had Loisaga, Herman, I mean, they were still in the division race at, at that point. I thought they did a good job for keeping it in it. I mean, keeping in line with, with expectation. I don't mean they weren't, you know, they weren't a dominant rotation, but I thought they did a good job overall. All right, I'm, I'm definitely with you on, on the bullpen. That was a historic, deep bullpen. I, I think, um, you know, they, they get the A, A-minus range, the one drop-off being a guy like Canely who completely disappeared. Yeah, um, but I, I, that's but then, what I'm saying. I, I would I would bump it down for, like, Canely, and yeah. if you want to include... Um, but then you had a guy like Holder... Yeah, no, absolutely. You had a guy like Holder help bring it back up, and then the big guns like Robertson and Chapman went healthy. Uh, they were effective. And then the rotation, I, I think this is where I'm going to be a harder grader than you for the first time. Rotation, I, I would – well, what what grade did you give the rotation? A B. I thought a B, B or a B minus. Yeah, see, I, I, would, I would go around C plus because I, I think about – I think about their better starters, and and even with Severino's incredible first half, that's about as poor he was for a long stretch in in the second half. So, you know, he'll get maybe a a, a B ish from me. Same for Tanaka; he was great after he got off the DL, but early in the season he was he was shaky. Um, and then you have the F of Sonny Gray, which definitely brings the group grade down. That one kid in the class. I didn't even, that... think, I didn't even think about Sonny Gray when I went to grade that rotation. <laughs> I'm so pissed off at him still. Yeah. I just started racing. He's thank, thank God he's going to be relocated. He's <laughs> he's the guy in your group project that never shows up to help with the assignments, and he uh, brings the group grade down. I also think Herman brings the grade down. He had that one incredible start against Cleveland, and then he was on that torrid strikeout pace but then he fell off the cliff um so i mean Sonny was just so bad that he brings the whole group down i mean you have that cluster of sevi tanaka and and sabathia that are in that b range i mean and ha- i mean half oh I yeah mean... half too can't forget half but Sonny was just so astronomically bad that it, it brings it down to about a c plus for me um so now uh let's just do a couple big position players we'll stick with the big trio that was supposed to hit a thousand home runs of uh stanton judge 
and Sanchez. So just uh, give me those three, how you would grade them each individually. Okay. Um, I mean, we don't. We might not even have to do Judge. I, I would assume we both give him an A. When he wasn't hurt, he was a just plus. yeah, A plus for Judge. We don't even have to go into him. So Stanton and Sanchez. Uh, Stanton, I would give a C plus to. Now, I'm, I'm. This is not. I'm just not comparing him to a replacement level player. I'm saying for John Carlo Stanton, this is a C plus. I understand. Year, right? Just above satisfactory. He did hit 266 with a 343 on base. 343 on base is very good. 509 slugging, also very good. Um, but I, I felt like there were times where he definitely needed to step up a little bit more than he did uh, and shoulder the load. And maybe he wasn't ready for that in his first year. But overall, I thought he carried himself well his first year in New York. I think he just maybe wasn't, you know, there was an adjustment period for sure. And, and we saw. A Rod and his now not that John Carlos Sands the kind of player that A Rod is, or A Rod was, excuse me. Uh, we, we definitely saw an adjustment period for for A Rod, and we see that sometimes with guys that first come over. But um, you know, I, I'd say a C plus. I think I, I didn't realize this watching, um, not having watched John Carlos Stanton on the regular, but I'm surprised by how much of an incomplete hitter he is. He doesn't make the adjustments that Aaron Judge makes. I mean, the, the fact that they get compared to me is now pretty silly because when I watch them them hit, you could see their approaches are so vastly different and that Aaron Judge is a far far smarter hitter uh, than, than Stanton is, in, in my opinion. Stanton is a great mistake hitter, uh, whereas Judge is more of a complete player. And um, I, I think that'll play out more as, as Judge gets older. But I, at the same time, I think Stanton's going to get better as he gets more comfortable. But I thought his year was fine. Uh, but nothing spectacular, so he gets a C plus out of me. Um, Sanchez, I'm going to give him a um, a D. Um, definitely, he had a poor year, but I think there's a lot of room for improvement. And you know, I, this has been said a bunch, and, and you know, you know, progression isn't linear, right? You, you're not going to just get better every single year. You're going to have your peaks and your valleys. And and Sanchez just had a rough year um, in all aspects of the game. The power is still there, obviously. Um, the the home runs he hit all seemed to matter. I mean, think about it. He had the walk-off home run against Minnesota. He had the three-run shot off of Giles in that game, um, in, that game in Houston. And he had that uh, – two or three run job to tie it against the Mariners in that one game. He hit some big homers, but you know, I mean, a guy that has a two ninety one on base and a four Oh six slugging, I, I can't give you that great of a grade. No, I, I won't go too much into Sanchez cause I have the same grade as you. I, I would give him a D um, also expect that grade to go up um, a lot next year because that's just not the hitter Sanchez is people struggle sometimes for inexplicable reasons in, in their young careers. I mean, look at a guy like, Roy Halladay, um, he struggled for no reason when he was young after a couple really good early years, and then he went off to a Hall of Fame career, and I still think Sanchez is one of the best catchers in baseball. It's funny to watch the playoffs now, and you realize, wow, Sanchez defensively, for, for what he did in the playoffs, was among the best um, considering all other catchers and how they're performing in the playoffs right now. Sticking strictly to the playoffs, of course, Sanchez was worse in the regular season. But a, a D for me. Um, Stan, I would give a B. Um, I, I agree there were definitely some high leverage spots where he didn't come through and he was clearly maybe gripping the bat a little tight and um, became more of a, a guess hitter. I, I didn't watch enough of him in Miami, but you look at the numbers and it seemed like he was a patient hitter and, and didn't chase too much. I think he got out of that this year, which maybe could be just first year in New York was pressing a little bit but he still caught fire when the Yankees really needed him to when when Judge got hurt and played a bunch of uh, games in the outfield with with a tight hamstring when Boone really didn't have any other options to go to because Shane Robinson was on the other side of the outfield so uh, a B for Sanch uh, for Stan excuse me and uh that'll uh that'll what about George George we both agree we oh, give him an A plus well, I got one more. I want to just point out because I just want to point this out. I have another A plus to give. I, I, was I would imagine it's going to be for a guy like Hicks because I would give Hicks yes, an A plus. I would okay. give Hicks an A plus. I thought he had an amazing yeah. year. Fifteen. He, his walk rate was fifteen point five percent. 
Absolutely. A plus for me too. Hicks, uh, I mean, he showed a lot. You think of how far he's come from when he first came over for John Ryan Murphy, I should remind you. Remember when everyone was mad because John Ryan Murphy was their favorite scrappy backup catcher and now he can't even cut it in some minor league organizations and Hicks has become one of the most valuable center, center fielders in the league. Another Cashman home run. I'll, I'll always remember when Murphy hit that home run in Minnesota after A-Rod had the Oh, the A-Rod? Yeah, yeah, that was a great moment, but I'll, but I'll yeah. take Hicks <laughs> instead. Thanks. So, All right. Report cards are, are in. Report cards are in. Um, now, if, if you were grading D.D. Gregorius in April, it would have been an A++++ infinity. Um, <laughs> but now the Yankees will be without him next April because he just went underwent Tommy John surgery today and – a lot of question marks, hang, marks hanging over the shortstop position for the Yankees. Has some are even tweeting has Didi played his last game as a Yankee, which is you know really sad to think about considering how much he's meant to the organization since he came over and took over for Jeter. But a lot of questions to be answered, and we had Doctor Tommy John Jr son of former Yankee Tommy John. He came on to shed some light as to what to expect for Gregorius in his recovery process, possible timetables, what challenges position players face after going under the knife for Tommy John surgery. And uh, what do you say we play that interview right now? Let's go. All right, here's Dr. Tommy John Jr. And he stopped by to talk to us about the spike in Tommy John surgeries and D.D. Gregorius and even a little Masahiro Tanaka. Okay, we are joined now by Dr. Tommy John, the son of former Yankee Tommy John, who is, of course, very famous in the baseball community. Tommy, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us today. Guys, thanks for the opportunity. It's my pleasure. So, kind of a interesting timing for this because we just heard about Dee Dee Gregorius going down with Tommy John surgery. He'll be out until at least May or June, and you were tweeting about the injury and how, you know, the concern around baseball that Cashman addressed Didi's asymptomatic injury that uh, the Yankees knew about before they even made the trade for Gregorius. So do you think something like that asymptomatic injury that Gregorius had while he was with the Diamondbacks, should that have been a bigger concern for the Yankees before pulling the trigger on that trade? I I always think so, and that's that's just how I view things, you know, it's almost like every hammer is going to look at everything like a nail. A surgeon's going to try to see surgery. Uh, um, you know, uh, uh, acupuncturist is going to look at, uh, everyone's got their, their specialty. Mine is to try to find cause of dysfunction and every injury has clues. Every injury is different per person. And when you have something like a partially torn ligament, which is what he had in 2014, I believe it was, that's a big red flag. That's an only the, the ingredients there to create that environment that is that symptom aren't going to be addressed. So it's a matter of time before something pops up. I don't care what position you are or what sport you are. It, it, it won't matter. So if I mean, if I were a club and I were investing, it's almost like think about if it, if it was a Ferrari. If the three of us were going to go ahead and put money into a Ferrari, we'd want to know the accident report. We'd want to see the mileage. We want to know if there's sugar in the gas tank. We want to check the tires. We want to do, but there's more that goes into almost car purchases than it is with these these athletes. And really, here's what I the way I think it stems from is nobody's afraid of the surgery anymore. Nobody's afraid of surgeries in general anymore. It's just well, you're going to have it. Just get it done, and you'll be fine. And that's so far from the truth. Yeah, and and you know specifically with Didi, given his not only is he. You know, a good shortstop. He's also a very good hitter, and, right. and we've seen players that. I mean, like Xavier Nady comes to mind. He was a good hitter. He had the surgery, and it's it seemed to affect his hitting too. He never never was a good hitter after that. Does does that kind of surgery affect not only your throwing but also your hitting as well of position players? You know what? You know what's interesting. It, it depends which arm more. If if I'm a hitter, if it's the bottom hand, like with Shohei, right? Um, if it's that, it's it's a little. I don't want to say easy, but it's a little more doable. Uh, there's there's a little less going into that specific point in the elbow. It doesn't change how you go about coming back from it, but 
if it's the bottom hand, it's a little easier. If it's the top hand, it's going to be a little tougher. But what's, what has to happen with surgery is you have to rehab twice. You have to rehab once to get back to above the level you were at before the surgery because before the surgery, you weren't okay. You were, you, that's what got you injured. So that's part of rehab. Then you actually have to rehab from the trauma, the psychological, emotional, intellectual, and physical trauma of the act of surgery itself. And so that's where, that's where it becomes, whoa, this is a big deal. Anytime somebody has any kind of surgery at all, you need to look at it as more than just, well, ligament got repaired, he's good. There's got to be more to it than that. So, so like you said, there's, there's a lot of aspects to recovery from something as serious as Tommy John surgery. So exactly how much uncertainty surrounds the recovery time for a position player? Because we've seen a player like TJ Rivera in the Mets organization who still hasn't been able to make his way back. And, th- and then you see a former Yankee like Tony Womack who underwent Tommy John surgery and, and he was back in, in almost no time. And that was someone who was in his thirties. So just how much parity is there in terms of position players coming back from this surgery that's where we get we put the body on a timeline and it's kind of unfair it took my dad 12 years and one day to come back does that mean it's everybody no but then you put that guideline on a person what if they do everything under the sun they're supposed to do in line they do exactly and it just took them 18 months just because that's what their body took well now all of a sudden they're negatively looked at, they're not working hard enough, they're not. And so it's tough when you put the body into a timeline. Now, here's, here's the reality of a position player. Pitchers have it easy, and I don't want to clear this up because I was a pitcher and I was, an in, I was a middle infielder as well. So pitchers have all the time in the world to get everything set so that they can deliver the most optimal pitch to the most ideal location. They can even take their time and stop mid-delivery and reset, where an infielder has to throw from infinite angles, off shifts of body. Their body's going to be in this infinite positions. They can't just set you know, that one motion and learn it and go with that. They have to throw from all these angles, body in a better position than others, so that, that's where the crapshoot comes in from an infielder because we can't possibly know what the mechanics of the throw are going to be for the infielder. And basic training and rehab, guys, you need to train and rehab at a level of stimulus greater than anything you're going to ever encounter on the field. So that means an off-balance throw off the opposite foot from the deepest pocket, that person has to be, or, or for him specifically, he's got to be prepared for that. And how do we do that? That's where the randomness comes in. And that's where I think for, for a position player, it's I, I take it just as seriously as a pitcher. I know we're just like, ah, they'll come back in six to nine months. It's less for a position player. I highly disagree because of that randomness that the position itself requires. Well, that's that's really interesting. And, and one Yankee keeping it with the Yankees, another pitcher who's yeah. who's dealing with a, a partial tear himself is Masahiro Tanaka, and yeah. um, he, he's had this since 2015. So, in your opinion, is that kind of an outlier, someone who's been dealing with something like that? And you know, what what goes into a, a procedure where he gets a platelet injection and then, for whatever reason, his elbow has been pretty much fine for the past three years? So, and I sat on um, in fellow meetings with surgeons on that platelet platelet rich um, they were presenting, and it's not even there. Just like this isn't really that successful. The odds, the the percentages aren't great, but we don't have any options. Like we we don't know, and and surgeons are trying their hardest to not have to do this surgery. You know, they they will really try, especially at that level of baseball. What is what could we do to get this done now? Here's the reality of when you do something specific to a site, you try to symptom care that site. His elbow is damaged, quote unquote. That's where the symptom showed up. The cause is going to be elsewhere in the body. Somewhere in the body, there's an inability to absorb force properly, sequencing. It's really how we move, the inability to move. Okay, everything's going to go to that point. If we go ahead and try to bypass the normal healing response that the body does, to a site and we get a healing response that the rest of the body didn't have to grow through 
you may stabilize an elbow that the rest of the body didn't learn how to create that itself. So now you just made a joint it, like minusculely more stable. What might happen to the wrist or the shoulder? What might happen to the spinal joints? What might happen to the forearm muscles around it? You, you don't know. And so it's almost like when you try to gain this instantaneous, you know, inject or tape or, or, or pill or injection or, or of some kind, the fallout could be body wide and it lingers. It's almost like a landmine. And you don't know. You may buy yourself some time and then all of a sudden, the biggest explosion you've ever had. And it's like, ah, oh, we bought ourselves, you know, a month or a year or, or whatever it is. But at some point, you're going to have to meet the maker and, and put in the work and get to the source. And, and it's a business. That's, that's the tough part of, of sports is, is that it's entertainment and there's a lot of money at stake. So, you know, you're talking about there, there's other things that go into this, into these tears, right? There, yeah. There's, so what, what can pitchers do? Like, let's say Tanaka has a partial tear, or yeah. I know Otani came over with a partial tear that, that you know, that was disclosed. Correct. Um, what can pitchers do? Let, let's say they have a partial tear. Is it something in their delivery, a way that they deliver the pitch, where it's like, you know what, you have, you know, a small tear. If you alleviate the stress on your elbow by doing this and that, are there things that pitchers can work on in order to do that, or is it just the way that their bodies are constructed and there's nothing they can really do? That's such a good question, and and we're all they've been looking for that one that one thing. They've even asked my dad, "What's the thing you did that made you come back and throw fifteen or fourteen years without missing a start after your elbow surgery?" And he doesn't have an answer for that one thing because it could be a number of things. Um, the biggest, the single biggest cause of injury is the body's inability to absorb force. The second biggest cause is previous injury. So any previous injury anywhere in the body just changed the mechanics and the physiology and the everything body wide. So you got to start at the feet and you got to go to the hands. And I would start feet first. Happened with Verlander. He had his feet analyzed and finally got everything in line. And all of a sudden his, his shoulder and elbow and it just bought himself like another four years or something. He's never been, never felt better. So I would look at Otani had ankle surgery prior to coming over here. Then shortly after that, he had an opposite quad that exploded. And then he rolls his ankle right before this last flare-up that caused the surgery. So you got to look at everything. You need an injury history body-wide. Um, and you got to deal with previous injuries. And I will say this, the biggest flaw in American strength and conditioning and rehab is our inattention to previous injury. If pain is not there, we don't worry about it. But there's so much dysfunction prior to when pain or tears show up that there's clues that the body leaves. Um, and so it's one of those things that's bigger than an exercise. It's bigger than mechanics. It's bigger than rest. It's bigger than pitch counts. It, it's like all of it. It's the food they eat. It's staring at phones. It's, it's, it's video game abuse. Their sleep. You know, everyone's starting to try to see how to get an edge. It's all of it put in together. But every player is different. That's why protocols have a hard time working with something as dynamic as the body because we try to put something so malleable and never changing as the human body into a into a protocol and the body doesn't know it doesn't work on protocols like my dad for instance coming back this is such a great story uh instead of throwing a throwing program coming back it was like now it's number of throws 15 throws at 45 feet rest you know 30 throws at 50 feet whatever it's going to be well, he threw for time. So let's just say 60 feet he was going to throw that day. He'd throw for seven minutes. Where one day, seven minutes, he might be able to get 42 throws in seven minutes. And another day, he's just dragging. Things are hurting. His elbow's inflamed. It's, it's Okay, maybe he gets 12 throws. But he still worked for seven minutes. So there's like that playable guideline where seven minutes on a mound allows the player to be who they're going to be that day. And that's not the case now. We're trying to, like, fit everybody into this mold, and that's dangerous because nobody's the same. That's why you get different different results with the same protocol. That, that's really interesting what you said about it, you know, everything affecting something else. I remember a couple of years ago, um, 
Mark Teixeira flew out his quad and, yeah. you know, they asked him what happened and they said, well, I had rolled my ankle in the other leg and it was affecting the way I was running and I was <laughs> right. and it was, so it was kind of like when you were talking about that, I thought about that. I, I guess what you said kind of negates my, my next question, but I was going to ask, is there, I mean, we hear about partial tears, full tears. Yeah. Is there, is there a point of like no return where it's like, it's not even worth looking at it where you just, you have to have the surgery, like if it's more than 50% torn or is that really just case by case? So that that's what's tough is that again we're we're talking about a business and a career. I have seen and have talked to colleagues in the business where as long as it's intact, if there's connection, meaning it's not totally severed, the fruit's not pulled totally from the tree, right? As long as it's intact, there's a chance that the body will adapt and do its best to recreate and adapt to that environment but the environment's got to change and that's the that's the challenge is there enough time some sometimes bodies need a lot of time with something very minor to what we would consider minor sometimes bodies need less time to what we would consider major it's it is case to case i'm always if you can avoid surgery try to try to do everything you possibly can to not have to have it and then you're talking though about maybe a a 34 year old or a free agent or and there comes those variables that that kind of make you ah, i gotta i gotta figure out what i gotta do here you know because i've been in rehabbed and trained a lot of the chicago bears having come from chicago and that that was the deal it was like this is what your body needs to heal but Monday Night Football doesn't abide by that, <laughs> you know. So you got to break some rules, but at some point you hope to catch up with with where the body can tip the scale more in its favor. So you, you talk about how surgery should be a, a last resort, but you've also, yeah. you know, illustrated on social media and, and in your work just how much Tommy John surgeries have been on the rise. Just. You know, you look at pitchers today, and it's all about velocity and sharp movement on, on your breaking ball, and the Yankees have a number of pitchers like that. Severino is among the hardest-throwing starting pitchers in the league. Dellen Batansis and Aroldis Chapman, they all can hit 100 miles an hour. Just h- How much is the demand for velocity and, and movement on your off-speed pitches behind the uptick in, in Tommy John surgeries in terms of those adding more stress on an elbow? It's definitely it's it's definitely the way the games change. And then when you look at what is required or demanded or prime for a baseball player, that baseball player has to grow from something. This is the biggest culprit. You got the youth sports industry is fifteen billion dollars a year and growing. Growing. That's that's like more than the NFL pulls in a year. So these players are specializing. They're getting worn out. They're speeding up the process of becoming elite, which elite and youth should never be combined in the same sentence. Um, the good ones are going to make it through, but they just survived. They just survived the uh, the process. They just survived the system. But you throw in that business of youth sports, you throw in the American lifestyle, which is get it now. The, the training is upside down on its head. You're not a good mover. You don't know how to move. You can't stand on one leg, but you can deadlift x number of weight or you can squat horribly some amount of weight and your velocity is going to go up because you're just you're just stimulating the body it's pretty easy to do that but to sustain that is very very difficult so we're increasing ability at the expense of durability and nobody cares just whatever just get your speed up and don't worry about it they'll figure it out at that point by the time they get to the big leagues there's so much mileage there's so much laid down that it's only a matter of time throwing max effort, max velocity, max torque, max spin rate, all that stuff that the body's just finally like, I can't keep up. Now, I will say this. Throwing hard, throw, being nasty, there is nothing wrong with that. But it, it requires a complete different training regimen than, than, the rant, than the different ones that are being approached now. Like, we have to do things so – I mean, we would just have to restructure everything. To, to be able to sustain that, not just show it for two years, but I mean sustain it. And then, you know, that I don't think people are up for that. that that's the hard part. Um, I even asked my dad, though, I was like, could you guys back in the day throw harder? He's like, oh, yeah. But that wasn't what the case was. You were supposed to get outs for a long time. <laughs> and he's like, I could reach back and throw over 90. Gossage could bring it. If Gossage had to throw only one inning, what would that have looked like? 
you know, like, my gosh. And so a lot of those guys had that in them where I think now we're, they're just tapping into reserves that have always been there. But because the youth sports and the training and the nutrition and the stress and the tech and all that stuff is just upside down on its head that these bodies can't, they can't sustain Right, we're talking to Dr. Tommy Johnny. Also has a book, Minimize Injury, Maximize Performance. Tommy, really interesting stuff. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. I, I really think uh, people will get a lot out of it. Anytime, guys, and I appreciate you helping me with my mission. Thank you. All right, guys, take care. All right, that was Dr. Tommy John Jr., really insightful stuff. And like you said at the beginning, Sean, it definitely scares you a little bit because, I mean, he made an incredible point that I never even thought about when it comes to position players recovering from Tommy John surgery and all the different angles that they have to throw from all in one motion, too. I mean, what a great point that, you know, pitchers do have a heavier workload on their arms, but they have time to set, get go through their normal motion. I mean, especially shortstops, you know, ranging in the hole, throwing across their body. So much can go wrong. And at the same time, we've also seen so much parity in in terms of the recovery time for position players. I mean, I'm sure everyone's hoping for a Tony Womack situation, but, you know, the scary part is, is just that fear of the unknown because you really don't know when Gregorius will be back. Yeah. I mean, this is really concerning and, um, uh, just Didi brings so much to the team, not only just, you know, for his great production, but also he, he balances out this right-handed heavy lineup. He's just such a good lefty bat, you know, 27 dingers this year. Uh, and, and you're going to lose that for so long. I'm really, we're going to get into our wish list next week, but I'm really interested to see what they do there. I, um, you know, I, I really hope this isn't the end of Didi with the Yankees. I really was hoping they'd give him an extension, uh, not you know, this is a business. So, you know what, maybe this drives the price down a little bit and they can, you know, offer him, you know, get him on a little bit better of a deal. But I I think he's a core piece to keep around. And, uh, you know, definitely one of my, one of my top three favorites on the team right now. I mean, you think about what he did to come through and replace Jeter. And I mean, not too many Yankee fans have been missing Derek Jeter in, in, in that sense, um, because of what, what he's done. Um, but you know, it's definitely scary stuff. And, uh, you know, Dr. Tommy John Jr. made a lot of great points about, you know, how, when you have a partial tear, well, there's something that caused it. And, you know, hopefully Tanaka has altered whatever it was that was causing that. And, you know, his pitch usage has changed since the surgery and hopefully that, uh, you know, that has helped his elbow and and we'll be okay from here, but you never know. And, you know, I, I think the Yankees made the right choice with Tanaka when you think about it. Him not having the surgery has led to Tanaka pitching in, uh, what are we at, six playoff games now? And he's gone at least five innings and never allowed more than two runs in any of them. So, I mean, I, I think it's been worth the gamble, even if he had to have the surgery in the middle of the next season. Yeah, I agree. Great adjustment by Tanaka. I mean, he, I think he throws the least amount of fastballs in, in the league now after having to change a little bit of his approach after suffering that injury. After I mean, people forget just how dominant he was in 2014 before that injury, and he's still turned himself into a nice starter with a great postseason resume. And in terms of Gregorius, it's definitely scary to think about the Yankees without that lefty balance in the lineup, especially because... Gregorius and Greg Bird were supposed to be your lefty balances in that lineup, and now both of them are completely up in the air uh, for different reasons. Well, I mean, Bird has had his fair share of injuries as well, but now it seemed like it was more of just a lack of production. Didi, you know you're getting that production. He's gotten better offensively every year, and what what seemed like a potential lock for an extension and your shortstop of the future is now up in the air, and that's, that's scary to think about, but... Um, Let's uh, let's get out of the negative real quick. And before we wrap things up, why don't we just revisit our favorite moments from the season before we officially close the book and start looking ahead to the off season and, and what's to come. But um, so I, I would imagine we we're going to agree on our top moment or game. I, I would imagine for you, it's um, for me, it's definitely the wild card game. I mean, just how that game started with with Severino just completely mowing down the A's in that top of the first and. It's funny. It's it, it wasn't 
you know, specific moment wise, it wasn't anything crazy, but after how he pitched in the wild card game the year before and just to see how dominant he was in that first inning, that was that that was one of the loudest I've ever heard Yankee Stadium when he got that inning ending strikeout and then just to have Judge come up the next inning and just hit one to the moon. Um, on a frozen rope, it was. Uh, I, I think that first inning of the wild card game was probably my favorite moment. That's actually my second favorite moment. Is it because you were at the game for the Stanton walk off? Is that your favorite? No, no, oh, actually, wow, okay. that, that that didn't even make my top. Well, I, I had a tie for the the actual the the third place if we were going to do like top three. <laughs> um, no, that that was you know that's definitely top five if we're going to do top five. But my favorite moment of the season was actually the inning they had where Gardner hit the triple off Kimbrel when they had that big comeback against mm-hmm. well not a big comeback but they had that comeback against Boston and then Judge uh, the next batter hit the solo shot to uh, dead off, center right yeah, yeah. to dead center. Uh, the reason that was my top favorite was that was right at the end of that amazing stretch that they had. And that was like, holy shit, this team is unbelievable. And then it started to go downhill after that. Not downhill, downhill, but I mean, things kind of definitely normalized after that. But that was like kind of the pinnacle of the season where it was like, this is really, it could be a special year. And I just remember like, you know, Sterling says, the place is going nuts. And (laughs) and just like, you know, that that was kind of like the peak of the season for me. And and it's a shame it happened early because last year the peak definitely happened later. That wild card game, though, that was amazing. Uh, That's definitely number two in my book. And then I think you captured it perfectly. So I don't even need to go through it again. And then uh, third and fourth for me, the stand home run was really cool. But when Gardner tied the game with that solo shot uh, against Houston that mm-hmm. just snuck in and then they won that game in extras, that was that was definitely a cool moment. And when um, – because the, when they played Houston, that's they were both playing – they were playing really well at the time. So those games were really intense. And when um, Sanchez hit the, hit the three-run bomb in Houston, that, that was also another one of my favorite moments of the season. Yeah, we have a pretty identical list. I also have the uh, the rally off Kimbrel. I also have the Sanchez home run. I I include the Glaber walk off against Cleveland. That was like oh, that, that, yeah, that was a, a good yeah. That was at the peak of of um, that incredible run against a, a bunch of you know World Series contending teams, and that was just a crazy game that was capped off by that by that home run and. Um, and uh, you know, in terms of just my favorite storyline, real quick, I, I I just think Luke Voigt was the uh, most was improbable, fun. enjoyable. It had a, <laughs> it, it kind of had like a Lynn Sanity feel to it. Just this guy comes yeah. out of nowhere and and just tears it up on the biggest stage for a few weeks, and it's just such a huge reason why the Yankees even were in position to have that wild card game moment in the Bronx. Yeah, that that was that was really fun, and I agree that was the that was the most fun kind of little okay, wow, this is really happening um, streak. All right, uh, curveball just to end it. Favorite gifable like reaction moment thing of the season. It doesn't even come from a Yankee. It's the gif of Giles punching himself in the face. All right, nice. That's a good one. What about yours? Um, probably. <laughs> Probably when Shane Robinson got buzzed and CC's in the dugout. <laughs> that's that's I'm, I'm laughing just thinking about CC it. CC has a lot of good gifts. Yeah, but that's for yeah. you, bitches up there too. Yeah, th- that that one's really good. The Giles one's really good, and then um, the the uh, Batansis shimmy in the wild card game is 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 also up there. But but yeah, what CC's face when he's kind of like he's got his chin up and he's, he's <laughs> that that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was that was good. Definitely hope we haven't seen the last of CC in, in pinstripes either. But um, well, I, let's let's get to that next week. We'll talk about the plans for next season, and well, obviously we'll talk about the ramifications of the DD injury more when we do that, and 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 everything like that. Yep, that's that's a good plan. Oh, real quick, we we talked about the we revisited the anniversary of of Boone's home run, which technically happened on October seventeenth. Something else pretty big happened on October seventeenth, and it's not brought up enough, but it's such an underrated moment of the Yankees. The Tino Grand Slam. No. God that's that's damn not it. that's not an underrated moment. That's huge. The David Justice home run in the two thousand ALCS. 
I, I think that's such an underrated moment, and it happened on October 17, 2000, and he hit that no-doubter into the upper deck and sent the Yankees to the World Series. That was huge. Get your tokens ready! <laughs> All uh, right, well, I, I just wanted to bring that up. That's an underrated yeah, th- moment for me. That was sick. I remember watching that. Uh, yeah, that was that was awesome. Uh, just, you know, that team overperformed in the postseason after having a pretty, pretty blah regular season. Um, yeah, that, that was a great moment. But uh, yeah, the, the Tino Grand Slam also on the, the 17th. Actually, the newspaper, I still have it, says Mr. Because remember, Tino was terrible in the postseason up until that moment. Mr. October. It said Mr. October. <laughs> and then in parentheses, it said the 17th or 17th. Yeah. So I still have that. <laughs> um that newspaper clipping actually but yeah all right well we've revisited some great moments and we've closed the book on a season that ended in disappointment and thanks to dr tommy john jr for giving us some uh, valuable insight as to what to expect over the winter and next week we'll come back and look ahead to that winter as we say goodbye to the 2018 season and um sean it's the official end for us of this season but we're gonna be here all winter and i'll see you next week next week we start to look ahead all right goodbye everybody